Thank you for choosing the Abide College Ministry podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message inspires and challenges you. Now here's a message from one of our leaders, Blake Fine. Cool. Sweet. How y'all doing tonight? Good. Y'all look good. All right. So we've been doing a series of talks out of 1 John. And so the first two, I'm going to back away from the speaker. The first two talks were on uh, light and love. So we talked about light, walking in the light. What does that look like? You can't walk in darkness and in light at the same time. That makes sense. So why do we try to do that with our walk with Jesus? And then last week, Hunter killed it, and he talked about love and how we show love, the love of God through us by loving other people. And so tonight, we're going to talk about freedom in life. And so where we're at is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And it says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole wide world. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for being here, God. I just pray that you would continue to work in a way that only you can, God. Jesus, continue to move. Give me words, God, that are yours and not mine. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So you ever been in a situation where you like, you know you screwed up? Like, you're like you know you messed up and you're literally kind of just in this moment and you're like, man, I really messed up. And you're just kind of waiting for your, your punishment to come kind of deal. So I kind of have two stories for you. The first one, when I was around... 14, 15 years old, my dad lived out on a farm, and every Sunday afternoon, much like today, on a Sunday afternoon, I would go out to his house, and so we would hang out, do all sorts of things, and uh, sometimes, when I got lucky enough, he would let me drive his his truck around. It's the car I drive now, not really a truck, but he would let me drive it around, and uh, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, because you know, when you're 14, 15, you're you're waiting to turn 16, you want to get your license, and so any opportunity you get to drive is cool, because you feel like you're, you're older, right? And so I'm, I'm get to drive, and I am uh, have my windows down. I got music cranked up. I was probably leaning back a little bit, you know, doing my thing. And so every once in a while, he would let me go around, drive around on the farm by myself. And one afternoon, I was driving, and, and this tree ran out in front of me. And um, I'm just kidding. So what really happened was I hit a tree, and in my defense, I really couldn't see the limb that well. It's not really what happened. So... I'm driving, and I'm messing with the, the, uh, the seat, trying to kind of like fix it, because I wasn't situated right. And out of nowhere, my seat just goes all the way back. I kick the gas, and boom. There's a dent on my car, so if you, I can show, you, show it to you sometimes. So I, I get out the car, and I look at the dent, and I'm just like, oh, God. Like, I just know my dad. Like, y'all don't know my dad, but my dad is like, bigger than, everyone's bigger than me, but he's like six foot, and he's like, he's my, he's my dad, so you know, like, you don't want your dad to be mad at you or disappointing you, and I'm just like, oh my God, like, I'm not supposed to be driving anyways, and so he's gonna let me, he let me do it, and then I, I dented his car, and so I'm like, okay, how am I gonna get myself out of this, and there's no way I could, so I drive back over, and I'm like, dad, I gotta show you something, he's like, okay, what, and I showed it to him, and he looks at it, and he's like, it's okay, Side. And I was like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Second story. 
So I grew up in a neighborhood um, with all my best friends. Oh, it was the coolest thing. If you ever seen the movie The Sandlot, it's a lot like that. I, I love my, my best friends from back home. We, would, uh, we, we got into some good trouble. And so um, one afternoon, I was at my friend Emmanuel's house. And he literally lived one block up the road from me. So I could just walk up to his house. We'd hang out. And, and the thing about Emmanuel, his whole family is Cuban. And so um, sometimes I would be there. They have their, their dad, their mom, his brother, his sister, and two grandmothers that, they li- that live with them. And so I would go and I'd hang out. And, and sometimes when I'd be there, they would be speaking in Espanol. And so I didn't know what the freak they were saying a lot of times. And sometimes they'd be talking, this, that, and the other. And they'd start laughing. And then they'd look at me and I'm like, like, I don't know what you're saying. And so, like, at certain times it was kind of intimidating because I didn't know if they were like, we don't like this guy. Why do you keep hanging out with him? You know what I'm saying? And so, like, one afternoon, Emmanuel thought it would be a funny idea. So his parents aren't home, and he thought it would be funny for me to get locked out of the house. And so he locks me out of the house, and I'm running around kind of knocking on windows, and I go up to the door, and, you know, like, it was a kind of a wooden door, and you could see through the, the glass, right? So he's in the door in the window, he's laughing at me, and I just start kind of banging on the door, bang, 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 crack, and like the window cracked, and in Emmanuel's face, he goes from, to, and so I just knew, I was like, oh my, this is it, like, I was scared of his dad, to be honest, like, I was 11 years old, and so what happened is I kind of like, I started crying, and, um, and I started crying, and I would literally ride my bike, up to his house, and so I got back on my bike, and I get my phone out, and I call my mom, I'm like, Mama, I, uh, I like, uh, broke someone's window, and they're going to kill me, and like, we have to pay for it, and I told him I would pay for it, and she's like, with what money? And I'm like, I, I don't know, and, and, and so all day, like, like, just like in the story with, with the truck, like, you have that moment where it's like, oh my, oh my goodness, like, how am I going to get myself out of this? You know what I mean? And like, so I go home, and all day, I'm just like, Emmanuel's dad, Mr. Felipe Sr., is going to kill me. And uh, I'm just like, oh, goodness. And, and so later on that afternoon, I get a phone call from Emmanuel, and he's like, hey, it's all good. My dad said he, he's going to take care of it. We need a new door anyways. I was like, what? <laughs> and so, like, many of us, many of us in life, we're in that moment, the, the in-between, right, where, where you're kind of waiting, and it's this burden, like, you know you've messed up, like you know you've screwed up, and you're in that, that moment, and you're just like, how do I get myself out of this? And we know we can't. And what often this does is it creates us, uh, it puts on us a life where we're not able to live in freedom. Because when I was in those two moments, those two situations, that's all I could think about. That's all I could concentrate on. There was nothing else going on in my mind but like, oh my goodness, how do I get myself out of this? And so what I want to ask the question tonight is, how can our lives live in freedom? How can our lives live in freedom, and who can we receive this freedom from? And so John, he writes, he says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. See, for us to find freedom, we must first understand what we're freed from. If you want to write that down, you can. Um, they say that like 98% of people who take notes get into heaven. So there's, we, we can do that. So write that down. For, for us to find freedom, we must understand what we are freed from. He says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. See, for, for a lot of us, what I think is really cool about this text is that John is writing in a way that I think is a lot. It's kind of different than how we look at sin sometimes and look at people that are Christians and look at people that aren't like us. He says, my, my little children, 
He doesn't say, hey, you need to quit sinning, like, you, you sinner. Like he says, my little children. And I feel like he's, he's writing this and saying this in a way that is caring and gracious and loving towards the people he's writing to. But he's still instructing that, I write these things so that you may not sin. And for us, I think we need to understand how we view sin often and what sin does to us. And the first thing is this. We often view sin in this way. We either have an overview of sin or we have an underview of sin. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes we view sin in this way where if I don't drink, if I don't cuss, if I don't have sex, if I don't do all these things, I'm good. And then on the other side of that, we have this underview of sin where we're so concentrated on like how we look on the outside, walking good, kind of looking right. And then this, this underview of sin comes in where it's like we aren't concentrating on what's going on in here. And, and we view it that way. And it's hard sometimes because what happens is we get complacent because we're not doing those things necessarily. But when we realize that, we kind of forget about the things that may be going on in here, like pride and anger and lust. Like for me, dude, if I'm not doing those things, I'm good. You know, I'm like, I'm straight. But then I forget about the stuff going on in here to, to illustrate it. So um, when I went, I lived in New York, uh, 20, summer of 2016. Yeah, I lived in New York. And it was the first time I ever flew. And so flying into New York is one of the coolest things ever because you see all the skyscrapers and all that. And so I'm, I'm going in, and you see from up above, right? And so you see all the buildings. or If you've ever flown, you can see buildings, but you can't necessarily see how high they are, right? But it's just kind of a landscape. But when I got down on the streets and I began to walk around, I could see that all these buildings, some were taller, some were shorter. You get what I'm saying? And so... I think that oftentimes we view sin in this way, where it's almost like on a scale, where one is here and seven is here, and either we're doing this or we're doing that. And I think that God sees sin just like I saw the buildings. Now you see it this way, but oftentimes we put levels on it. And oftentimes what we do is we do that to justify the sin in our own life. Oh, if I'm not doing what they're doing, I'm good. If I'm not partying, I'm good. But we forget about all those things that are going on inside of us. And the second way to illustrate this, when I was in high school, I kicked field goals. Um, and so, I know y'all are shocked I didn't play linebacker. Um, I, play, I kicked field goals. And so, question, I'll ask you this, Tate. So, if I, if I kick a field goal and I miss it way to the left, is it a miss? Okay. What if I kick it and I hit the left upright? I was closer, but is it still a miss? Okay, that is what sin is. Good job to take. So that, that is what sin is. We have to view sin as that sin is, it is just this. That either you miss the mark, which we all do, every single day, or we don't. And so John writes this, and he says, that, he says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And so this is how we often view sin, and we need to then realize, what does sin do to us? Sin is a thief. John 10.10, 10, it says this. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I believe that sin is an instrument or a tool of the enemy to, to block or hinder our relationship with Jesus. So sin, what happens is that it steals, first off, I think it steals joy. How does it steal joy? Okay. So what sin does, when we give into sin, we find satisfaction in that, right? Like, I mean, I've sinned and I've been okay with it. And like, I liked it. I enjoyed it. But how long did it last? See, it, it fulfills this selfish satisfaction only for a moment, only for a temporary moment. And what happens there is that we begin to get caught up in that. And it's like this. So we, we sin. You good, Whitley? Okay. And so, where was I? 
Um, so we, we sin and we forget that I lost my place. Hang Whitley. Okay, so it steals joy. So we find temporary joy in sin. And when we do that, we become restless. Because here's the thing. When you find temporary satisfaction in a sin, you get joy for a moment. It's like this. You, if you go and sit, say there's a chair here. I sit down in this chair. And this is the sin that I'm finding temporary satisfaction in for a moment. That's not good enough. So, so I leave it. And I go over here and I sit down and I rest in this. And it, it's this thing where we continually are trying to find the next thing that's going to give us this temporary moment of satisfaction. And we, we can't hold on to that. It doesn't last. It isn't good. It isn't what God has for us. It isn't what he, he desires for our walk and our life. And so what happens there, it steals our joy because it's only a temporary joy. So it's not real joy that Christ gives, right? And so when we lose that joy, we become restless. And as we, rest, we lose rest, we move from thing to thing to thing. And then we lose peace. Because I believe what peace is, peace is to be able to rest fully and wholly in something without worrying about everything else that's going on. And when we're able to find peace in the joy of Christ, we don't have to give in to sin. And so what peace does is that it gives us something to rest in, and that's in Christ. And so sin steals joy, it steals peace, and it ultimately looks to take our freedom we can't find freedom in sin. That's why John writes this. He says, I write these things so that you may not sin. And, and sin hinders our walk with Christ. Hebrews 12, 1, it says this, uh, let us lay aside everything or sin that entangles us and let us run the race set before us. And what, what that means is like, imagine you're trying to run with a weight on you. You're trying to walk with a weight on you. It slows you down, right? But if that weight is taken away, you're able to walk better. And so sin hinders us. It takes our freedom. And so here's an illustration. So Logan and Ronnie, I asked them before if I could do this. So Logan and Ronnie, Ronnie, if he knows the things that you do not like, right, the things that you can't stand, and he continues to do them over and over and over again, what, what do you think y'all's relationships going to look like? It wouldn't be very good, right? So why do we do that with Christ? Like, for real, like, why do we continue as Christians to hold on to the things and do the things that Christ doesn't call us to do, that he doesn't want us to do? There's no joy in our relationship with Christ when we continue to sin, continue to walk in that. And, and that's something sometimes we don't talk about it because we don't want to hit on sin because we like to be comfortable in the walk that we have. But this walk is not meant to be comfortable. And so ultimately, sin takes away our freedom. But I need you to understand this. And we've been talking about sin. And he does write these. He says, I write these things so that you may not sin. But here's the thing. You not sinning is not what gives you freedom. You not sinning is not what's going to give you freedom. You can live a good life. You can put on a front. You can do all these things. But I promise that's not going to give you freedom. Because I believe you're going to continue to try and work and continue to try and gain Christ. And when you've never meant to gain it anyways, and it's become more of a burden when you're just trying to continually get away from it. And so, sin is not sinning is not what's going to give you freedom. And though sin is serious, it's not superior to Christ. Sin is serious, but it is not superior to Christ. And so, what often occurs is that our viewpoint of sin often dictates our view on how we think God sees us and how we often feel as if we have to earn our way back to God. In this attempt to earn freedom, uh, this leaves us burdened. I know some of you tonight may be living and walking that way where you're like, man, I'm trying. 
I'm sick of living this way, and I've been trying on my own for so long. I've been trying to get myself out of these sins. You can't do it. I, you can't do it. There is no power inside of it that, you can, that can take you from the sin that you're living in. But here's the thing. There's an answer. He says, he writes these things. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And that's a good thing about the Bible. There's some big buts in the Bible. And it says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, freedom can only be found from someone who gives freedom. I'll repeat that. Freedom can only be found from someone who gives freedom. In the Civil War, uh, there was what was called the Underground Railroad. And so what, what would happen is slaves would try to escape from the south to the north. And this was an awful time that they had to do that. And so they would try to escape, and, and some of them went. So we know Harriet Tubman, she freed a lot of slaves to the northern states. But what would often happen is some of these slaves would escape, they'd get to the north, and these slave masters would send off men to go and get them. And so as these slave masters would go and get them, they would bring them back. But the moment in which Abraham Lincoln signed what was the Emancipation Proclamation, there was freedom given. See, freedom can only be given by someone who can give freedom. You can't give yourself freedom. What, is, what does this say? If anyone does sin, who in here sinned? I hope every hand goes up. Y'all some liars. Um, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has paid the cost for your freedom. Propitiation, that's a, that's a fancy word. It basically means to appease the wrath of God, to pay the cost. If you go to Burger King this week or something, ask for the propitiation of your burger, see what they do. But the propitiation means to pay the cost. And so what happens here is that Jesus has paid the cost. I don't think you understand what that means. Like that is the greatest news on earth. That is the greatest news that has ever existed. What we have done is allowed the good news to become old news. And that's not how we can have it. And what it means for there to be an advocate, say you're in the court of law and you have a defense attorney, what's so cool about this is that what defense attorneys do is they go and they plead your case. They give evidence. They're trying to give you freedom. And here's the thing. They, they bring all these files. They bring all these things. They bring all these stories. There's only one story. There's only one witness. There's only one thing that our defense attorney needs. Christ. All he has to do is this right here. Like, he paid the price on the cross to appease the wrath of God, to be the propitiation of sins. And then it says this, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we realize that our freedom is found not in ourselves, our freedom is found then in Christ because he has paid a price that we couldn't pay, that we could never pay. And when we begin to buy into that, we begin to believe in that, what's our world going to look like? It says for the whole world. Jesus has paid the cost of our freedom. And that's a simple message, but it doesn't need to be complicated. Will we be and show freedom to the world? I'm going to ask Haley to come back up as we close. I want to ask you this. What, what does it look like in your life? What does freedom look like in your life? See, we've been called to freedom. 
Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You are called to freedom. You are called to freedom tonight. What does it look like in your life? Some of you tonight need to make a decision. You've been doing what John has said. Now he said, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, but there is an answer to that. And it's in Jesus. It's in the hope that he has for us in his goodness and in his mercy and in his love. And he left the 99 for the one, and that one is you tonight. Some of you need to make that decision that, that this is not a joking matter. This is not a, a thing that we, you can avoid or run away from, but that Christ is here and he says, I love you. He has paid a price. You may think that the price is too high. You may think the things that you have done is too much. You may think I'm too far gone for his love. I'm too far gone for him to care about me. But I want to tell you tonight that he loves you and he cares for you. And he wants you to find freedom in that. And in that hope, we find freedom. And what would it look like if all of us did that? If all of us found freedom in his hope and his mercy and in Jesus. So I want to ask you tonight, what freedom are you living in? Are you trying to earn your own freedom? Are you trying to walk on your own? Are you trying to do it all on your own? Because it says you were called to freedom. And don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So don't use this freedom as an advantage to yourself. But through love, serve one another. See, Hunter talked about how we, we, we show God's love by serving one another, right? We show the freedom that we find in Christ through th- serving and loving one another also. It's a simple message, but it's the truest one. It's the best one. It's, it's so good. Like, I don't, I don't know how, I, like, the grace of Jesus in my life, I can't even explain it to you. I shouldn't be here speaking to you right now. Like, I used to be scared to give presentations in high school. Like, I, I would be terrified. But I'm here because I have found freedom in Christ. I have found freedom in his mercy and in his love. And, and it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I beg you that if you're thinking about it, just do it. If you're scared, just do it. Because like I can tell you, like in my life, I can't tell you how many times His grace has come through. And it showed me. like He loves me. He cares for me. He wants me. And He wants the same for you. I had a conversation with my dad uh, a couple years ago. And this sticks with me forever. Uh, he said... He was asking me, he said, you're a Christian studies major. You take all these classes. You do all these things. You, you, you read your Bible, whatever. He was like, go and ask your professors this. And, and a little backstory: my dad was a, um, a drug addict and an alcoholic, and he abused my mom, and, and there were a lot of bad things that went on. And he, he struggles with forgiving himself. And, and he says to me, he says, go ask him, how do I forgive myself? And if I could get it through his head that he can't forgive himself, He can only be forgiven by the one who can forgive. He can only find freedom from the one who gives freedom. And that is in Christ. And if I could beg you, I would. I am. I'm pleading with you that the propitiation, the cost of Jesus has been paid through him, through his cross for you. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. I'm going to pray and and Kelsey's going to lead us and we're going to sing, but you worship how you feel like you need to worship. If you need to pray with somebody, do that. If you need to get on your knees, do that. If you need to make a decision, do that. 
I feel like everyone in here is being called to something. Either we're being called to turn away from sin that we've been living in, to repent. To repent means to turn away. How can we look at a gift that we've been given in Jesus and not respond in a way that is good and holy towards him? We've been given a gift. How will you respond to it tonight? I plead with you. The grace and mercy of Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. And when we live in that, we'll find true freedom because we have an advocate that is going before us to the holy God of the universe saying, they're innocent. I've paid the price.